Uh, Tonight, actually, in a few hours, our family is going to go on our spring break. Uh, It's a little hard to go on spring break leading up to Easter because we have a lot of stuff going on around here. It's kind of like the Super Bowl for us on on Easter Sunday. And so we leave tonight to go on our spring break. And what's going to happen is we're going to get on a plane in a couple hours. And our kids are going to be forced to experience and to face something that is uh, just true for us this trip and just about every trip. They're going to have to walk past a section of seats that they put right at the front of the plane to remind you that you are not part of the elite. You are not part... (laughs) of the 1%. We're going to have to walk them through first class to get back to the rest of the normals where we sit. And I don't know if you've ever flown first class. Maybe you do. Maybe you've done that for work before. Uh, But it it is a totally different experience. Now, listen, I've never flown first class. Never flown first class. I just consider myself just to be more like Jesus. I just want to be with the people. (laughs) Now, listen, real talk. We had an opportunity it was a long time ago when uh, Jeannie was doing a lot of speaking and traveling. She had accrued a bunch of miles, and we were coming back from a trip together. And they let her know. They called us up, and they said, hey, we want to let you know uh, you've got a free upgrade to first class. And now Jeannie had done that a few times because of travel stuff, but she knew that I had never flown first class. How uh, amazing is this? Jeannie sacrificially gave up that. Do you think she did that? <laughs> no, she didn't even like acknowledge that I was there. She just went straight to first class was like, dude, I had her sunglasses on, didn't even acknowledge she knew me. As I went back and I had to sit in the back by the beverage cart with the seat that doesn't go back. I don't even know what goes on in first class. I don't even, there's warm towels involved. What do you need a warm towel for in first class? Are they doing like hot shaves? I don't even know what goes on up there. There's a jacuzzi, I have no idea. And then what happens is if you've ever flown internationally, they used to do this a lot, right before the flight takes off, they, they pull a curtain between first class and the, you know, the rest of us. And the, even the sound of the curtain has judgment in it. Like, and you can feel a collective first class, everyone going, hmm. You know, you just, I don't know, maybe it's me, maybe it's me that feels, you, you ever know what that feels like to be on the other side of the curtain where everyone else is in the in-group and you're on the outside? Ever know how that feels? Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you're on the outside looking in, on the outside looking in. It can happen in lots of different ways in our life where you're not a part of the in group. You're not a part of the in crowd. All of us have faced that one time or another. Like when you start a new job, you know exactly what that's like. Everyone who's been working there for a while, they've been working in a team, they all know each other really well. They all have inside jokes. Every time they tell a story about Janet and what she did at last year's Christmas party, woo, you don't even know who Janet is. You don't even know what the story is. You don't even know where the printer is. And so you can feel like you're on the outside looking in. Or you move to a new city and you can feel like you're on the outside looking in. Maybe you're new to Chicago. You just moved here a while ago and you're still trying to figure out why our, you know, freeways and stuff have numbers and names and why we have to have four pizza slices just in the slice of one Chicago style pizza slice. Like what? I don't understand all the rules of this city. You can feel like you're on the outside looking in. All of us can feel that and all of us have felt that at times. And at a much, much deeper level, uh, you can feel that in pretty profound and significant ways in life with God. You can feel like you're on the outside looking in like everyone else seems to have it all figured out except you. Everyone else seems to be kind of moving forward in life except you. You can feel stuck. In fact, you can have been in a relationship with God all of your life and still have areas of your life where you feel like you're on the outside looking in. There's parts of your life where you feel stuck or you've kind of hit a wall or where you don't want God to come all the way in. All of us know what it feels like to be on the outside 
looking in. And for, for thousands of years, this was what it was like to experience God, specifically throughout the course of the whole Old Testament. That's what it felt like. God was, was present. God was active, but there was distance between God and his people until, of course, that very first Easter. See, Easter changes everything. It absolutely changed everything because what stands at the center of Easter is an invitation. The curtain is open and all can enter in. And tucked into the Easter story, which maybe you've heard before, maybe not, are all kinds of glimpses of God's invitation for you to enter in, to enter into relationship with him, to enter into a full life, a hopeful life, a meaningful life with God. The invitations are all there in the story. And what I want to do in the course of our time today is highlight a small detail that God wants to make a big deal about in your life. A small little detail from the Easter story that I believe is the whole reason you are here today. I believe, in fact, it's the message you've been longing to hear your whole life. So if you would grab a Bible, we're going to look at this little detail in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. There should be a Bible right underneath your seat. So if you have one with you, fantastic. If you have it on your phone, that's awesome. If not, would you grab one of the Soul City Bibles? You're going to want this. Grab it right under your seat. And uh, let me just say a word about this as you're opening up to Luke uh, chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. You can go to page 858 in the Soul City Bible. That'll fast track you there, page 858. Uh, a little word about these Bibles. If you've been around here before, you've heard us say this. Uh, if you are interested in exploring who God is, you're curious about God, maybe that's why uh, you came here today. Maybe you got dragged here by a friend and the only way you can get to brunch is by stopping here first. That's awesome. We're glad. Hey, we're glad you're here. I totally get it. Seems like a fair deal to me. Uh, here's the deal. If you don't own a Bible, then we want you to steal a Bible from church today. Nothing would make us happier than you swiping a Bible from church. It's the easiest Easter egg hunt you're ever going to do. Look, here's the Bible. You got it. You found it. It's yours. If you don't own one, steal one because we want you to have one with you. Now, we only have one rule about the Bible stealing. Uh, when it comes to this, anyone can steal a Bible. All we ask is that it's the only thing you steal from church today. Please, please just, let, can we all agree to that? If you need a Bible, steal a Bible, but let's just leave it at that. All right. All right. Let me give you context as to where we're at in Luke chapter 23, page 858. Jesus at this moment in the Easter story is on the cross. His friends have abandoned him. One of his friends has betrayed him, been falsely arrested, been beaten within an inch of his life, mocked. The last shreds of his dignity laid bare on display, treated as a criminal. He's on the cross to give his life for ours. See, this was God's plan all along, that Jesus would offer his perfect life as the perfect sacrifice for our imperfect lives. And so Jesus is there on the cross and something significant happens. I want you to pay attention to it. Luke chapter 23, verse 44 says this. Luke tells us that it was now about noon, about the middle of the day, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So for about three hours, there was no light. And this literally happened and also at the same time, it's a great metaphor that this is one of the darkest moments in human history. So he tells us, he goes on to say in verse 45, that the sun stopped shining and the curtain temple was torn in two. Pay attention to that detail. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Jesus called out with a loud voice and he said, Father, into your hands I commit 
my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. That's it. That's the moment that Jesus gave up his life for yours and mine. Now, there was a small little detail in that story there of the death of Jesus. And if you blink, you'll miss it. If you blink, you'll miss it. It's found actually back in verse 45. Let's go back and look at that. Luke tells us that the curtain of the temple was what? Was torn in two. Now, that's an interesting detail. Why would Luke let us know? I mean, here we are. All eyes are fixed on the cross. This is the moment that Jesus is giving his life for us. Everything is happening right there on that hill. And then Luke says, oh, also back in the city in the temple, uh, the curtain was torn. Oh, okay, Luke, that's significant. Well, I don't know why you told us that. Well, he's actually not the only one. Two other gospel writers, eyewitness accounts told the story as well. Matthew and Mark tell us that the curtain temple was actually torn in two, but they give us an interesting detail about it. They not only tell us that it was torn in two, they actually tell us that it was torn from where to where? Top to bottom. Now that's significant. That's important. What they're first, just at first glance that tells you is that no person could have torn that. Because if you and I were to try and tear a curtain, we wouldn't start at the top. We'd start at the bottom and rip it up. But they said, no, 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 this, this curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. There's something different going on here. Now, why would they, at this most central moment in our human story, the most significant moment in human history, why would these three gospel writers say, oh, also, I want to let you know the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom? Why would that be so significant? Well, to understand that, we're going to have to do a little um, temple curtain origin story, all right? We're going to like go all the way back to the beginning of the temple curtain to understand. The temple curtain actually goes back some 1,400 years before Jesus. See, in, in the very beginning of our story with God, there was union with God. There was relationship with God. But sin entered into our story and it caused a separation. Where there was once union, now there is division, separation between us and God. And so God's people did not have a way to connect with God because we were so separated from God by our sin. And so God provided a way for his people to actually connect with him. In fact, he gave them a place to do that. And it's called the tabernacle. So during the time of Moses, when the people of God were nomadic, they had no land. God was leading them to a promised land. God says, I'm going to give you a place that you can connect with me. It's the tabernacle. That name tabernacle literally means the place of dwelling. So God is saying, this is a place where I will be. You can count on me. But what's amazing is because they were people on the move, it had to be totally temporary, portable. So you like, like, was like, you know, the whole idea of like a pop-up shop, like God invented that. He invented, that's what it was, it was like a pop-up church that they would be able to set up. But it was incredibly elaborate, incredibly specific detail that God actually gave his people that there would to, was to be a room within the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. This was the most sacred place. And inside it, there were several sacred artifacts that reminded the people of God about the story of God and how he had been with them all along, the Ark of the Covenant. You're familiar with Indiana Jones. That was in there as well. Several other significant artifacts were in there as well. But God said, that is a holy place. That's where you can count on my presence to be. But only one person can enter into the Holy of Holies. That's the high priest. Only one person is qualified to enter into my presence, lest you be consumed by my glory. And that one person, the high priest, is only allowed to enter the Holy of Holies one time a year, one day a year, the Day of Atonement. 
Or maybe you grew up celebrating or you're familiar with Yom Kippur. That's where that actually comes from. The high priest would enter into the presence of God and make sacrifices for the people of God on behalf of the people for God. And that was how they would connect with God. But God said, listen, I don't want people to be so consumed with my glory, overwhelmed by my glory. So to divide the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle, anyone want to guess what God put there? A curtain. God put a curtain in between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the tabernacle. It was the perfect representation of the separation that sin had caused. God's here, but we can't get to him. In fact, uh, there's little artist renderings. So you can kind of get a scope and scale of the tabernacle. So this is, again, a temporary thing that they would set up every time they went into a new land. And you can see there where the Holy of Holies is. And then you can see the temple curtain that actually divides it from the rest of the tabernacle. And there's the uh, high priest posing for this picture. Uh, and so th this curtain is actually pretty significant. And I, you, don't, you don't need to turn there. I just want to give you some detail about this curtain. In Exodus 26, God lays out very specific plans about this curtain. This is what it says. God said to them, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen, with cherubim, which is angels, woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it on gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood, overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Okay, God, anything else? Yes. Hang the curtain from the, from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant law behind the curtain. This curtain will separate the holy place, which is the rest of the tabernacle, from the most holy place, which is the Holy of Holies that we just talked about. So God is incredibly specific. My hunch is, in his spare time, God is an interior decorator. He has lots of themes and color schemes that he's working with here. And so he gives them incredibly specific plans. But the design, as the design was so inspiring, it was actually the dimensions that were the most impressive about the temple curtain. It's recorded to have been 60 feet long and 30 feet high. This ain't no Ikea curtain. This is a significant curtain. In fact, some Jewish tradition said that the thickness of the curtain was as thick as a man's hand. That's thick. And in fact, it actually is recorded in history. Jewish historians recorded that it would take 300 priests just to pull, just to move the curtain so that the high priest could enter in on the day of atonement. God's not messing around here. Now listen, my wife is an incredible, incredible decorator and designer. And she sees our home as sort of a living canvas for sort of however she feels furniture should go. And regularly, usually around 1030 at night, Gina will say, I'm having a thought and I know what's coming next. It means that I'm going to be moving couches, I'm going to be moving dressers, I'm going to be moving rugs, and then I'm going to be removing them, and then I'm going to move them back to where they originally were, and then I'm going to move them six inches to the left. And this, there have been a couple pieces that I actually haven't been able to move on my own. They are so big. I know that might be shocking to you that I wouldn't be able to handle that, but I haven't been able to. I've had to call some friends. In fact, some guys from here have had to come over to our house. I've just called them up and said, yep, Jeannie's in one of those moods. And they come over to help me move. I've had to call friends to help us move furniture. I've never had to call 300 friends to help us move a piece of furniture. This curtain is no joke. In fact, years later, Solomon 
the third king of Israel, once they had a land, once they had kings, Solomon took this portable tabernacle and he actually made it the permanent temple right in the heart of Jerusalem. And he took the same design and dimensions and incorporated them into the temple. And that is where the temple curtain would remain for generation after generation, serving as a representation of the separation that sin had actually caused between us and God. There it stood for so many years. That is, of course, until the first Easter. That is until the death of Jesus, when that curtain was torn in two, from top to bottom. This literal moment that these guys all record is actually a living metaphor for what God was doing, for what he had done through Jesus. The curtain was torn, that the curse of sin had finally been eliminated, that we actually had no longer were we to be separated from God. In Jesus, through his death and resurrection, what we see is that he eliminated, eliminated what kept us separated from God. That's good news. That's the message of Easter. Jesus eliminated what kept us separate. 8.30, come on, work with me here. He eliminated what kept us separated from God. This is the deal. This is what God has been up to all along. And remember how the curtain was torn. It was torn from where to where? Top to bottom. And that's an illustration, a metaphor for us to get that this was initiated by God as he sent his son Jesus down to us to eliminate the separation that kept us from him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done? All of our shame, all of our fear, all of our hurt, all of the things that we thought separated from us from God, your past, habits and patterns in your life right now that you thought disqualified you from God's love. God says, no, 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 no. I've torn it down. I have literally separated what kept you. I've torn what kept you separated from me. It's eliminated. It's eradicated. It's gone. This is incredibly good news. Except, see, here's the thing about you and me. We like to redecorate. And we like to put back up curtains to separate us from God. We find all kinds of new ways to believe the old story that we are actually separated at a distance from God. And all of us have these in our lives. All of us have places, beliefs, stories, lies that we have bought into that we cannot actually have the life that God created us to live, that we can actually not be in full relationship with God because we are disqualified by whatever this curtain is. That there is something that will always keep us at a distance from God. And maybe for you it is your past. Maybe there's things in your past where you said, yeah, I love the metaphor. It's great. But you don't know my story. There's no way, no way that God would ever have me or that he'd ever have me back. No way. Or maybe for you, it's the curtain is what's going on in your life right now. There's habits, there's patterns, addictions in your life where you say, yeah, I, I love the idea of this, but I, I got to clean my life up first before God would ever accept me. There, there's, there's no way. Maybe for you, it's your, uh, it can be your pride. That can be a big one, big curtain that comes between us and God. Because you say, don't worry about it, God, I'm going to do it on my own. I know like you have like a whole book filled with wisdom and direction for my life, but I'm going to do this one on my own. 
and your pride and your stubbornness is keeping you at a distance, separated from God. For me, for most of my life, and in fact, it still pops up, is that what kept me separated from God was this belief in uh, moral perfectionism that I had to be good enough for God to love me. In fact, that, that wasn't even good enough. I not only had to be good enough for God to love me, I had to be better than everyone else. And I would see all of the, my friends and all the stuff they were doing, and I wouldn't do it, even though it looked like they were having a lot of fun over there doing it. I wouldn't do that because I, I'm going to prove that I'm worthy of God's love. And what I didn't know is as hard, as hard, as hard as I worked to impress God to get his love, all I was doing was just raising another curtain. That was actually keeping me from receiving God's love because it was all about me. And I would always fail and I'd always fumble and it would never be enough. I wonder what it is for you that keeps you at a distance from God. Because isn't it true? Isn't it true? At least I've found this to be true in my life. We, we love to build up what God has torn down. What God has already done, we like to undo. We like to build up, raise up what God has actually already torn down. The work that we just celebrated that Jesus has done at Easter, we say that's great, but I'm going to put this curtain up in my life. I'm going to believe this story, this lie that I'm actually separated from God, that he would actually never accept me. We find all kinds of new ways of keeping ourselves at a distance from God, believing that he'll never love you, never accept you, that he's disappointed in you, that he's angry at you. They're all just curtains that God already tore down. Why do we keep raising them back up? I was talking to someone from our church uh, not too long ago, and he would tell you, I mean, his life is kind of in a mess right now. I mean, he would probably tell you it's like a hot mess right now. There's a breakup that was um, painful. And a lot of it he can trace back to his mistakes and things that he had done and he was so stressed and worked up about this that he wasn't sleeping much and wasn't sleeping well, and that was affecting his health and frustrating people at work with him because he wasn't performing as well at work because he was so exhausted because he was so stressed over the breakup. And he was just telling me, he's like, man, there's, we were talking, and he was saying, man, there's, look, I got to clean my life up. There's no way I can get serious about God until I clean this mess up. He used um, non-churchy words for that, but he, you get the idea of what I'm, what I'm saying there. There's no way. And what I saw in him as we talked together was someone who was just bound up behind a curtain of shame. So much shame. That there's just, I, I've just done too much. There's no way that God could ever love me. I gotta get this all fixed and I gotta get myself right with God before he would ever love me. Why is it that we love to build up what God has actually already torn down? All of us do it. We all have areas of our life where we believe we're still separated from God, that his love can't break through. And what we want to do for the next moment is just give you an opportunity to think about what that might be for you. you I mean, you're here at Easter. Why not go all the way in with God and open up your heart and ask yourself the question, where is it that I'm stuck behind the curtain? What are the things about my life that I believe God will not love me for? God will not forgive in my life, that I'll never see a breakthrough in my life. And in fact, in that Bible that I asked you to pull out earlier, uh, there should be a little piece of fabric. I want you to everyone to grab one of these right now. So if you didn't grab a Bible earlier, reach down and grab the little piece of fabric that's there in the Bible. And what we want to do over this next moment of just kind of quiet and reflection 
is to consider what the curtain might be in your life that God has already eliminated, but you still believe keeps you separated from him, keeps you at a distance from him. What would it be? Your past, things going on in your present, pride, perfectionism, whatever it, it may be for you. Listen, again, you, could have, you may have been in a relationship with God your whole life, but my hunch is there are areas of your life where you still are closed off to God, where you still think you got to get it right, get it cleaned up before God will ever love you, accept you, forgive you, and give you the life he actually promised is yours. So for the next moment, we want you to hold this. Let this be like a little tactile teacher to you of the curtains that come between you and God. And consider, just for a moment, consider that maybe, just maybe, God has actually already eliminated the things that you thought separated you from him. That in the shadow of the cross and in the bright light of an empty tomb, maybe the work is actually already done and it is, as Jesus said, finished. And we don't have to keep raising it up anymore. So take this next moment to pause and reflect on what this is for you.
be that that's the work that God was actually doing at the cross and through an empty tomb that he was saying, it is done. There's nothing now that actually separates you from me. It's been eradicated, eliminated, torn down so that you could actually enter in to full relationship with him, to not hold back any longer. I was thinking about uh, someone who's a part of our church. Her name is Devin. She was telling me her story about how she grew up around church. It was something that she was familiar with and that she had gone to as a kid, but she was saying her her life, all her life, even all this time at church, God always felt like he was at a distance from her. It felt like the church thing was just a sort of religious routine that she was going through. And then by the time she got to college, forget about it. God was just off the radar for her. It wasn't until years later where she actually moved here to Chicago that she was invited to come to Soul City Church by her boyfriend to come check this place out. And so she came having kind of walked away from God years and years and years before. And she began to hear about God's love for her, began to hear about how he'd made a way for her, that she could enter into a real relationship with him. And eventually she actually joined a small group around here, took a step and got into a a group and got to see that there's a lot of other people just like her trying to figure out what it means to live this life with God. And then eventually she got involved serving and started serving in Soul City Kids and loved being a part of what God was doing here. And she would tell you in that season, everything was kind of up and to the right for her. It's like, oh man, this is awesome. This is, God, this is really great. This is, maybe this is like the life God's actually created me to live. And then uh, this last end of fall, this last year, uh, it all, the bottom kind of fell out for her a heartbreaking, painful breakup for her. Relationship ended that she did not see coming. And because she was new to Chicago, hadn't been here that long, she began to wonder, maybe I just, maybe there's nothing left here for me. Maybe I should just move. Maybe I should just go somewhere else and start over. Maybe you felt that way before. I just need to get to a new city, new setup, and I'll just kind of start all over again. Maybe that's what I need to be made new. And she was getting all kinds of pressure from friends and family kind of saying, you know, like, well, you should do this and you should do this. And, and she began to wrestle and wonder with God, what, wait, why, God? I thought things were going well for us. Why would, you, why would you allow this pain to come into my life? And in any other season in her life, she would tell you that at that moment, she would have walked away from God for good. But something told her to enter in. God was inviting her to go all in with him. And so she leaned in even more. And she was at a baptism service at the lowest point in her life. And she saw people declaring that their lives had been transformed, had been changed by Jesus. And she said in that moment, there's nothing holding me back, separating me. And then she decided not to get baptized that day. But the next baptism... (laughs) She said, this is it. I want the world to know that I've entered in. I am all in with God. And even though my life isn't perfect and it's not all figured out and there's all kinds of things that I would raise up to come between me and God, I believe he's actually eliminated all of it. And he's actually invited me to enter in. And what she discovered is she found as she was baptized literally right there just one month ago as she was baptized here in this room, we got to see a picture of what happens When the curtain is torn down and you realize that God has actually already done it all for you, what she found and our hope is that you would find and experience is that new life begins when you choose to enter in. 
See, God had already done everything. He'd already done all of it, all that you couldn't do, and he did it all for you. And what's left for you to determine and decide is, are you willing to enter in? Because new life actually begins. The promise of Easter, of a torn curtain, is that new life begins when you choose to enter in. You can come home. You can come back home. And my hunch is there's a lot of folks here this morning, for whatever reason, you've wandered away from God. You've gotten lost somehow in this life. And today is the day that, God, you are hearing clearly. God is inviting you home. There is nothing standing in the way of you saying yes to Jesus or saying yes again to him. He has already eliminated everything that separated you from him. That the temple curtain has been torn. There's nothing left to keep you on the outside looking in. So why wouldn't you say yes to him? He's already done it all. It is finished. That's what we know through an empty tomb and it's available to you. And so I would be remiss if I didn't offer you the opportunity to say yes with your whole heart to him. And my hunch is for you, maybe for a lot of folks today, it's a coming home. Maybe God was a part of your life when you were younger, but for whatever reason, like Devin, you just kind of, you've drifted so far. And today's the day, this Easter, you say, there's nothing separating me from the love of God and nothing is going to hold me back from saying yes to him today. So what I wanna do is just pray for anyone who wants to say yes with their whole heart or say yes again to kind of re-up, to say, God, I am all in based on these terms and conditions that you've done it all for me. And my response is to say yes to you. I'm gonna say a prayer here in a moment. And when I do, you can make this prayer your prayer. Again, you may be brand new to this whole thing. And today you hear what God has done for you through Easter. And it's your day, it's your day to say yes to him for the very first time or to say yes again. You just make these words your own. Does that make sense? As we pray, you pray these out loud to God. And we wanna celebrate people entering into or coming back into relationship with God, with their whole heart, their whole life. So if you close your eyes right now, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for each of us. And if you want to come back home to go all in, maybe you've gotten lost and wandered from God, or maybe you want to say yes for the very first time in your life, then I want you to close your eyes right now. And what we want to do is actually pray for you. And you can pray these words right after me. Jesus, I say yes to you. Make that your prayer. Jesus, I say yes to you. Thank you for saying yes to me. Thank you for eliminating what kept me separated. I confess I've made a mess of my life. My sin has separated me from you, but you made a way. And so I am saying yes to you today. I'm saying yes to your salvation. I'm saying yes to your hope. I'm saying yes to your joy. I'm saying yes to your peace. I'm saying yes to life in this world and in the one to come. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for doing it all for me. And I today wanna give all of who I am to you. And I just wanna say a prayer for those of you who are coming home to Jesus right now, coming back to him. 
There have been areas or parts of your life where you've closed off and you've raised up a curtain. I just want you to pray and to reach out to God right now and say, God, I'm coming home. I'm coming back home. God, I'm sorry I wandered from you. I'm sorry I lost sight of you. Thank you that you never lost sight of me. You never stopped loving me. And thank you by that torn curtain, that torn veil, I get to see you've already invited me back home to you. Oh God, how we love you and how we love the invitation you've given us. New life, true life, real life with you. Thank you, Jesus, that by giving your life, we can have that life. God, we have so much to celebrate. And God, I pray that we would see people come home to you today, that we'd be able to celebrate a movement of God in this place today. So it's in your name that we pray and celebrate Easter resurrection reality. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, I want to say this. If you just prayed that prayer, whether it's coming back home, opening up your whole heart again to God or for the very first time, I want you to stand up right now so we can celebrate you. I don't want you to hold back. If you just prayed that prayer in any way, go ahead and stand up. We want to celebrate you coming home to Jesus. Don't miss this moment. Look around you, what God is doing in this place. Stay standing. And if someone is standing next to you, you stand right next to them and put your arm around them. Remind them of the reality of God's love right now. Remind them that they are not forgotten, that God is with them, that he's invited all of us to enter in. In fact, I want everyone to stand up right now because we're living in the truth of what God told us in Romans 8 when he told us that we can be convinced that there is nothing that can ever separate us from God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things in the present, nor things in the future, nor any powers in this world. Nothing in all of creation can actually separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means nothing. Nothing can separate you. Nothing you've done can keep you from God's Son. Nothing you will ever do can ever keep God from loving you. No, no lie you've believed, no diagnosis that you have received. Listen, Jesus actually did what had to be done. The battle for your heart's already been won. The temple curtain has been torn and you can actually be reborn. He's defeated death and sin so we can all enter in. So let's celebrate that today.